to Luke chapter, I'm sorry, John chapter 21. John chapter 21 will be our passage this evening. Uh, let me just again say, uh, what, what, uh, what an awesome time it is when we're all together. Like the, the singing, the fellowship, the, the energy in this place when you're here. So I, I want you to know, again, we all miss from time to time, but it really is important when you're here. It's encouraging to so many people. So thank you uh, for being here and being a part of tonight's worship. Well, we've been in a series called For the One uh, now for several weeks. Uh, and what we've been unpacking, uh, Jesus actually tells a parable uh, in Luke chapter 15 uh, about a shepherd that's willing to leave the 99 and go after the what? The one. And we've been talking about that's the heart of Jesus' ministry. That, that's the kind of shepherd that Jesus is. Uh, he, he's the kind of, of father, like in the, the prodigal son, that receives the son that has made a complete wreck of his life. Uh, that, that Jesus is the type of Savior that calls someone like Matthew, the tax collector, with his first round draft pick. Who does that? Like No one would pick Levi, and yet that's exactly who Jesus goes after. Or, or last week, how Jesus is the, the one that will receive the one everybody else has rejected, the one no one else wants, like the prostitute that appears in the Pharisee's home. We're seeing over and over, and I'm bringing back to the surface, these familiar stories to you because I want you to see, listen, this is not an isolated event. This is not just how Jesus acts on one occasion. This is consistent throughout his entire ministry. Namely, he'll leave the 99 who don't think they're sick to go after the one who needs a physician. That's the kind of shepherd he is. And this faith family is the kingdom of God. And tonight I want to show you how Jesus is for the one who's made a total mess of things and is an absolute and complete failure. John chapter 21, if you're able to stand, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. John 21 and verse 1, uh, the Apostle John is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter... Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing, which by the way, I think is a great idea. Anyways, they said to him, well, we'll go with you. And they went out and they got in the boat and, and, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Uh, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, we'll cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And so they cast it. And, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, uh, for, there were, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. And when they, got on, when they got on the land, they saw a, a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. And Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. 
Now one of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said this a third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourselves and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show of what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Lord, help me tonight to teach this. Sometimes when we enter into a story that we are familiar with, we, we sometimes forget the impact. I pray tonight that this would truly help us understand your heart and understand the kind of shepherd that you are and the kind of one that you go after. The kind of one that you use. The kind of one that you redeem and restore and do amazing things through. So this is your time and this is your word. Do with it whatever you want. And I pray that it would edify and build up your people. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. By all estimations, he was the richest man in modern history. And uh, probably one of the wealthiest, certainly, uh, Americans to ever live. Uh, Born in upstate New York, John D. Rockefeller became the owner and founder of the Standard Oil Company in 1870. And at one point, he owned 90% of all U.S. oil, uh, making him America's first billionaire. In fact, uh, it is estimated that at the peak of his wealth, uh, he had a jaw-dropping net worth of $336 billion. Now, I explained that and I set that up to, for you to feel the impact of a significant event that happened in his life. Uh, one day, Rockefeller was out on the East Coast and he was vid- visiting a small village uh, that was facing some very difficult economic and financial hardships. So much so that the leaders of the community got everybody together for kind of a town hall, a town meeting to address these concerns. Rockefeller overheard that this meeting was taking place and he showed up uninvited. No one recognized who he was. When he tried to share some of his thoughts, he was quickly dismissed by the community leaders. When he tried to speak up, he was repeatedly shut down. Until finally, after this happening now several times, Rockefeller just decided to leave. Shortly after he left the meeting, a man comes running in the room out of breath. What was he doing here? And the leader of the meeting was like, who? Who are you talking about? That man that just left was John Rockefeller. Please tell me that you ask him for help. And the man with great regret said, we didn't ask him for help because we didn't know who he was. 
let me ask you tonight. Listen, listen, listen. Have you ever missed an important opportunity? Have you ever had a window of time, an opportunity of a lifetime, a chance to seize the moment and you totally blew it? I don't know, like the Boston Red Sox in 1919, they had a guy named Babe Ruth and they decided to just trade him away. Or, or I like to pick on Boston Red Sox fans. Or uh, back in 1970, Steve Wozniak, who uh, took his idea to Hewitt Packard about an idea of having a personal computer, and they rejected that because they did not believe that people would actually want a personal computer in their home. And so uh, he teamed up with Steve Jobs, and they went to their garage and built the first Apple computer. Or J.K. Rowling, the creator of uh, uh, Harry Potter, which is worth $9 billion, you realize she went through 12 different publishers that told her no before someone was finally willing to say yes. Let me ask you, have you ever missed an important opportunity? You ever look back on your life and think, if only I had invested in that company when it was just getting started. If only I had taken that job when I was, had the offer. If only I had said yes. If only I had said no. If only I had said more. The reality is, is if we take an honest look at our life, There are times we wish we could go back and do it over, do things differently, use the mulligan, and make a different decision because we missed so many opportunities. Have you ever felt that way? And oftentimes when you feel that way, there's this feeling of failure that comes in because you feel like you missed it, you feel like you blew it, you feel like you made a total big mistake. And that is certainly true, listen, faith family, in our journey of faith, amen? That God has given us opportunities and we messed it up. God gave us opportunities and we didn't do anything with it. God gave us talents and we squandered them away. God gave us resources and we just totally blew it. And we feel like we're a failure to God. We feel like we're a total failure to God. And I just want you to know that if you have ever felt that way, there is someone, in fact, there are many people, but someone in particular tonight that knows exactly how you feel, and his name is Peter. I'm aware that most of you, if not all of you, know Peter's story. You're, you're, you're quite familiar with this, and I, and I get that. But Peter's, listen, is the kind of story we should return to often. Why? Because it shows us so much of how Jesus goes after the one. The one that everybody else would say, you had your chance and you blew it. And Jesus goes after that kind of person. Let me remind you how Peter's life was a life of failure. Uh, he was a man that had missed a lot of opportunities in his life. Don't get me wrong. There, Peter got a lot of things right. Uh, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's right, Peter. But listen, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. Uh, God revealed this to you. So, so he got some things right, but he got a lot wrong, didn't he? I mean, he missed a lot of opportunities. He, he swung and missed on a lot of different situations. Uh, you may remember the time that Jesus told a parable and Peter said, uh, but what does it mean? And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, quote, are you still without understanding? Do you still not get it? After all this time, you don't have a clue? Come on, Peter, you ought to know better by now. 
Or what about that time when Peter thought he could walk on water? Do you remember that one? And he steps out of the boat, and in just a matter of moments, he begins to sink. And what does Jesus say to him? You of little faith. Or what about when Peter confesses Jesus rightly, like what I just said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. But in literally just about a moment, in that same event, Jesus will look to Peter and say, get behind me, Satan. And then what about when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet and Peter says, well, you're not going to wash mine. <laughs> I mean, do you have the arrogance to tell Jesus what he will and will not do? And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, well, then you will have no part of me. The point is, Peter gets a lot right, but he sure gets a lot wrong. His is a life of repeated failure. And of course, there's the most famous failure of all in Peter's life. Look here at Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 30. But when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you're going to all fall away. Because of me this night, because it's written, in other words, this is going to fulfill prophecy, this is going to fulfill the Old Testament, that it was written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will flock and be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered this, everybody say this with me, though they all fall away because of you, say it, I will never fall away. I would never do anything like that. So Jesus says to him, uh, truly, go back, truly, uh, this very night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter said to him, again, here's the, the confidence, even if I got to die with you, I will not deny you. And let's not just pick on Peter. All the disciples said the same. You see, if there's one thing Peter didn't struggle with, it was confidence. Right? Peter never met a match he didn't think he could win. He thought his loyalty was stronger than anybody's. His ability was superior. You know, if everybody else falls away, I won't because I'm better than they are. His knowledge was greater. Like, Jesus, I mean, I realize that there's no error in you. I realize, Jesus, you always speak the truth. But guess what, Jesus, you're wrong about me. You don't know me. You don't know how strong I am. You don't know how good I am. I know you have all truth, but you don't understand who I am. In other words, Peter knows how the, the final moment of his life, the game of his life is going to go. It's going to go like this. At midcourt, extra pass. And it goes for the win. The three-pointer by Jordan that's exactly how Peter envisions it. That moment's going to come, and I'm going to hit the final shot. They're going to carry me off the court like this. I mean, it is going to be my one shining moment. I'll be signing autographs in the courtyard afterwards. He knows that's how it's going to go down, but that's not how the game ended, is it? Matthew 26, 69. Peter's sitting aside in the courtyard, and a servant girl comes up to him and says, you are with Jesus the Galilean, but he denied it before them all, saying, I don't even know what you mean. But when he went out the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, no, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, 
He denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, No, certainly you are one of them, for you, your accent betrays you. Kind of like my Tennessee accent. But anyways, then he began to invoke a curse on himself and swear, I don't know the man. I do not know who Jesus is. And immediately, the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered... The saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. You see, Peter thought his one shining moment was going to end like this, right? They're carrying him off the court in victory. It actually went more like this. Nine, number nine, just watch. <laughs> That's more like how it went for Peter. He hits the ball he, he, he and he totally whiffs. He totally bricks. The rock crumbles, and the one that promised he never would, did. And listen, 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 listen. Go there in your mind, in the courtyard on that night, he is weeping bitterly because he knows he's a failure. He missed his opportunity. He missed his moment. And he's weeping and he's broken for a couple of reasons. First, obviously, is his sin. He sinned against Jesus, right? Obviously, that, that concerns him deeply. But it isn't just that he sinned against Jesus. It's that he thought he never would sin against Jesus. Notice this on the screen, Faith Family. Peter's regret is not what he did, or it's not just what he did. It's that he thought he never would. He, 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 he told Jesus, listen, I promise you, even if I have to die with you, I would never do this. You see, Peter's spiritual strength was overestimated. Notice this on the screen. His greatest weakness was he assumed he was strong. His greatest weakness is he thought he could handle it. He could do this. And I wonder tonight if you can relate to Peter. Do you remember that promise you made to God? Oh, God, get me out of this, and I promise I will fill in the blank. And he got you out of it, and you never did the fill-in-the-blank, right? You didn't do the very thing you told him that you would do, the vows that you made, the I will never, and then what happens? You end up in the locker room of life, weeping and broken and feeling like a failure. And here's the question I'm putting before you tonight. Listen, listen. What do you do with people like this? What do you do with your own failure? Do you tell yourself you'll do better next time, that you drowned it in a bottle of whiskey, you ignore it with another round of golf, you make up for it with good deeds? Uh, maybe you just resolve that I'm just going to have to live with this the rest of my life. I'll tell you what others will do to people like this. Are you listening? Lean in very closely. Here's what others do with people like this. The coach will likely bench you. The boss will likely either demote you, if not fire you. The parent will probably ground you. The church will certainly abandon you. Your, your friends will stop speaking to you. Your spouse might leave you. The culture will try to cancel you. And you'll probably give up on you. I need you to listen to me. But Jesus will go after you. Jesus will go after you because that's the very kind of sheep he seeks to rescue. It's the very kind of sheep he seeks to throw on his shoulders and walk back 
and rejoice at the one he's found. Faith family, the kingdom of God is full of people that bricked the final shot, that missed the opportunity, but they found restoration and redemption in the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to look at here at John chapter 21. That's right. All of that was introduction. Now you can start timing me. I'm joking. I actually, I actually preached in our Through the Ashes series, this has been probably a couple years ago, uh, a sermon on Peter. And in that sermon, I focused a lot more on what led Peter to this moment of failure. I don't want to spend the time on that. I want in this sermon to focus more on the, re- the redemption and restoration he finds in Jesus through his failure. And that happens in John 21. We see the restoration here of Peter after he's totally blown it and missed his one shining moment. So let's start at the beginning of what Peter does after his failure, and we'll work our way through it. And this this really won't take long. First, notice that failure has a tendency to revert you to your past. Failure has a tendency to make you want to go back to your old ways, back to your old lifestyle, back to your old behavior patterns. In John chapter 21, Jesus appears to the disciples, including Peter, and he tells them, I want you to go to Galilee and I want you to wait. Now, waiting is one of the hardest things that we can do. In fact, Tom Petty, the great theologian, said waiting is the hardest part. And so they're waiting, and they don't know Jesus is, is like clearly taking his sweet, precious time, and some of them begin to give up. And so Peter says, I'm going to go fish. Now, now on the surface of the text, it doesn't seem like that much, but the word here in the original language for going is hupago. It simply means uh, to withdraw. That is, to go back to something. You could literally translate it this way, I'm going back to fishing. It's not... You know, I just need something to pass the time. Why don't we fish? It's that this clearly isn't working. Jesus clearly isn't coming. I already know that I'm a total and complete failure, so I'll go back to the old way. I'll go back to the old job. I'll go back to those old patterns. I'm going back to fishing. Peter is tired of waiting, and he goes back to his old way of life. And that is very easy for us to do when it comes to failure. Sometimes we want to quit. We want to go back to what's comfortable. We want to isolate, retreat, get busy with other things so that our mind is occupied, go back to a certain lifestyle or relationship or addiction or relapse. I mean, after all, who gives a rip because you're a failure? Who cares at all because you've blown it? And if, you, and if you do, the text actually shows you what's waiting for you when you go there. Look at verse, uh, verse 3 of chapter 21. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going back to fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out, got in the boat, but that night they caught, say it, nothing. And these are professional fishermen. They caught nothing. Why? Notice this on the screen. The only thing waiting for you in your old life, is empty nets. You go back to the bottle. You go back to the addiction. You go back to the whatever it is, and what's waiting for you there is an empty net. It may be familiar, but you won't catch fish. You won't be doing the very thing that God has called you to do, and therefore there'll be no joy, and there'll be no peace. So Peter reverts. He relapses. 
because of his failure. But notice, secondly, that failure teaches us a lesson about our performance. This, this, this I love. This I love. Jesus is going to take this situation in Peter's life and the life of the disciples and imagine this, teach them a lesson. He's going to teach them something very, very important. And by the way, this is what Jesus wants to teach us tonight. We have a room full of failures. You can amen that, all right? Um, from the stage to the very back of the room, we have all failed in different ways and missed opportunities. And there's actually a lesson in all of that. And here's the lesson that Jesus wants to teach us, verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, and the disciples didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? No, no, context. Professional fishermen, do you have any fish? You know, this is like saying to, I don't know, like Tiger Woods or, or uh, Tom Brady, like, do you know how to throw a football? Do you know how to hit a golf ball? Of course they know how to catch fish. Well, have you caught any fish? And they answered him, no. Well, then cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And so they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And the disciple whom Jesus, who Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. And Simon Peter heard it heard that it was the Lord, put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself in the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, about a hundred yards off. So what's Jesus teaching them here? Okay, uh, I, I'm convinced that Jesus made sure they weren't going to catch any fish on the left side. But they would catch a net full of fish on the right side. What's the point here? Right? Jesus is teaching the disciples something he's already taught them before. Look at it in John 15, verse 5. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. Listen, here it is. Are you ready? Say it with me, why don't you? For apart from me, you can do nothing. The point, faith family, is this. Notice it on the screen. Christianity is not about what you can do for Jesus, but what Jesus can do through you. Right? Listen, I mean, there's a sense in which Jesus is saying, I don't need your fish. Like, I kind of control the seas, all right? <laughs> don't you realize, professional fishermen, you're not as professional as you think? Don't you realize, professional fishermen, you're not as strong as you think you are? Don't you realize you think this is about you? I can make sure you don't catch a fish, and I can make sure that your net is overflowing in a second. Because this isn't about you or your performance or how good of a fisherman you are. This is the one who is ultimately in control and has authority over all things. Listen, it was never about your performance. It's always about the power of God. Look, look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. And when they got out of the boat, they saw a charcoal fire in place. This is like almost comical. And what's there? Fish! Fish laid out on it and bread. Again, the point is Jesus doesn't need your fish. 
He is letting professional fishermen fail at catching fish to teach them that ministry is not about their giftedness. I'm going to say it again and I'll say it loudly again. He is letting professional fishermen fail at catching fish, the one thing they do best to teach them that ministry is not about their giftedness. Jesus already has fish and he doesn't need your fish. He simply wants to use you to catch fish. And failure proves that. Jesus is going to show Peter that his failure in the courtyard was precisely what Peter needed to learn. Because it actually proves to him, Peter, it isn't about you. You're not as strong as you think you are. And just when you think you're the best player on the team, you'll realize that it's all about me. Thirdly, Failure is an invitation to receive the grace of God. Failure is an invitation to receive the grace of God. Watch what happens next in verse 10. Y'all with me tonight? I thought you were. Verse 10. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. And Simon went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. I've caught more, but anyways. I'm just kidding. That's probably heresy and shouldn't have been said. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, we'll come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. Now follow the flow of thought here uh, that we're getting in John 21. It's this, the disciples went out to provide for themselves. We're going to go fishing. They caught what on their own? Nothing. Now they're enjoying the meal that Jesus provided with abundance. See, you're going to go out on your own, and what are you going to learn? That you're a total failure. That you're going to miss your opportunities. That you're not going to catch a bluegill. I don't even know if they had bluegill in the ancient Near East, or catfish, or whatever. You're not going to catch one. Not one. But I'm going to bring an abundance through you that you might enjoy what I have provided. This is the grace of Jesus. Notice it on the screen. Look at it. Grace is accepting the free meal that Jesus has prepared rather than earning it through performance. You see? The meal that you have earned through your own righteousness and your own good deeds. Jesus is saying, listen, failures, those of you that have blown it, here's what I'm inviting you to tonight. Eat the meal that I have provided. Eat the meal that has come from me, not that which has come through your own goodness and morality. In failure, we feast on all that God has provided for us in Christ. Next, failure is training for future ministry. Failure is training for future ministry. Now, the scene focuses in specifically on a conversation between Jesus and Peter. And again, I know you know this. I know you get this. But Lord, just take this truth once again and wash over us the good news of a shepherd that goes after the one. Watch what happens. 15. When they had finished breakfast... Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's grieved 
because he's asked him this three times. Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know, like the fact that you were going to fail in the courtyard, Peter? He knows everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Come on, come on. You, you don't need a PhD in the New Testament to know what's going on here. Everybody in this room who's even studied this passage before 20 different times or a brand new person that you're the first time hearing this, you already know what's going on. What is Jesus doing? He is restoring the failed one. He is taking the one that missed his opportunity and bringing him back to a place where he is going to be used to feed the sheep of God. Jesus is saying, listen, your failure doesn't disqualify you from this ministry. Your failure actually helps you do the ministry. In fact, notice what he's doing. Peter is standing here in in verse 9. Notice what's there. Verse 9. This won't be on the screen. But when they got to the land, they saw a what? Charcoal fire in place. You can't even make that up. Because listen to Luke 22, verse 55. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, Peter sat down. Like the parallels are obvious. Notice it on the screen. Jesus takes Peter from the fire of failure to the fire of forgiveness. He's taking Peter back to the courtyard. He's taking him back to that moment when he totally blew it. And he's saying, Peter, listen, I'm not done with you. I'm going to use you. This is now going to be a training ground for future ministry. And how many questions does he ask? Peter, say it. Three times. You know this relates to how many times he denied Jesus publicly. And what does he commission Peter to do? Feed my sheep. Jesus is getting Peter ready for the ministry that's ahead. Notice it on the screen here. Peter wasn't ready to preach the gospel until he'd experienced the gospel. He wasn't ready to proclaim the gospel of grace until he'd experienced the gospel of grace. In other words, what does this show us? Jesus is for the one who failed. Jesus is for the one who failed. That's good news, amen? Because I know on all of us, if we're honest about our life, we know that like Peter, we've been in that courtyard when we feel like we've totally blown it. The reality is, faith family, every single one of us feels like a failure. You, you've been in the locker room of life. After you bricked the shot, after you lost the game, after you threw the ball away, and the feeling of that missed opportunity, that feeling of failure, and, and, and that is precisely why I'm telling you tonight, listen to me, that the good news of Jesus is such good news. That the good news of Jesus is the best news in the world. It is why our only hope is the amazing grace of Christ. And here's why. You ready? Are you ready for the gospel? Here's the gospel, and we're done. Notice Hebrews 4 and verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. We have one in every respect that has been tempted as we are, yet he never failed. He is without sin. Look at Romans 5 and verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many 
will be made righteous. Are you ready for the good news of the gospel? Listen to me. Listen, the good news of the gospel is not just that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That's great news. The good news of the gospel is not just that Jesus rose from the grave to give you new life. That is incredible news. The good news of the gospel is also this. Jesus lived a life that never failed. Jesus never wasted one opportunity, never got one thing wrong, never swung and missed a single time. His life is the obedient life. And what that means, because He's the one that goes after the one that failed, you can trade your life of failures for His life of righteousness. And all God's people said... Amen. Let's pray together. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this beautiful story, a story that, yes, we've heard before, but I pray tonight are refreshed in the grace that is in this story of redemption and restoration. A story of a man that, that had that one shining moment in a courtyard and, and totally blew it, and yet, Jesus, you went after him. And so we thank you, all of us here tonight, all of us thank you that in a, a, a world where the culture tries to cancel and, and bosses will fire and, and friends will forsake, we have a Savior that goes after the one. We, we have a Savior that sees the one that thinks they've totally blown it, they're in the locker room of life thinking they'll never have a shot at another game ever, and you go in and invite them to the meal of grace. You go in and invite them to eat the meal you have prepared for them and how you're going to use them to declare and proclaim the gospel of grace that is the kingdom of God. And now, Lord, we're going to enter into a time of remembrance where we think about the cross and meditate on the cross and, and what we need to think about tonight is what was hanging on that cross was an obedient life. What was hanging on that cross was a life that never failed. And that you made him who knew no sin to be all of our failures in that moment. That we might become the righteousness of God. Let us think and rest in that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.